0: You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast
1: for players by players, and all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Would you ever go on who wants to
0: be a millionaire? Would I go on? So what, am yeah. I invited with no strings attached?
1: Yeah, you <laughs> You're so suspicious. Yeah, you're a contestant. You, you know, you've, you've been invited to come on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire to compete for the, the $1 million cash prize.
0: I mean, why would I say no? What, what's the catch here?
1: i just, uh, you know, some people don't want to go on live television or reality television or game shows or anything like that. So I just thought I'd ask, you know? Yeah, but those people are crazy because you just said, Who wants to be a
0: millionaire? And I, w- I wouldn't mind being a millionaire.
1: Do you know? <laughs> I. I I think with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, for inflation, it really should be a lot more.
0: It's <laughs> like the Dr. Evil, like, who wants to be a billionaire? It's the pinky.
1: Yeah. Like 15 questions, right? And it's like, yeah. with inflation, I feel like it should be like you know, four and a half, five million. But anyway, uh, I asked this because episode 96 of Arsenal Past Brand, and we are doing a community mailbag. We are diving into some questions, and we have a lot of questions. We have some amazing questions from... A community Discord. We have some questions from Twitter. From putting out the the feels on Twitter in just two days, we've got over forty questions that we're going to try and get through and power through. Because there's some questions I think going to be a lot shorter. There's some questions that going to be longer form discussion. Some questions that we've probably answered in the past. And I think there's even some you know we'll get some duplicates. I'm sure during this kind of uh this questionnaire, this community mailbag. Effectively, I didn't read through all of them. I'll be honest beforehand. I just thought we could just get into it and do it. To be honest, because that's the kind of people we are, Brendan. We're you know we're, we're doers. So. Yeah, full scripted
0: content, you know, we never get caught <laughs> off guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Thousands of edits. That's Paid awesome. actors. Exactly. Uh, whoa, 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 don't, don't be telling anyone about that. All right, episode 96, community questions answered. No news, no command and cookout question this weekend. Uh, this week. We're just getting straight into it, Brennan. So are you ready to dive straight into the mailbag and answer our first questions? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, we're going to start with a question from Arsenal Pass, well-known... Scott Howling Minds, who's been on the the Mm -hmm. channel before, who also does thumbnails for us. And Hallie Minds asks, or Howling Minds on Twitter says, following the recent acknowledgement of the bond between a player and a legendary when discussing Crown of Seeds ban, do you feel Flesh and Blood needs to depower legendaries to prevent a trend of having to ban around the problem? Start with a spicy one, Brendan.
0: Oh, well, yes. So I think they shouldn't be afraid. And... (laughs) there's probably some people that listen to this pod and whenever I say Marvel snap they're like Grr! you know it's just like their binger angry card but it's I, I just want to bring this up because it's also an issue in that game as well is like they're having an issue with uh basically like the the cards they release every month for the ten dollar season pass have been really powerful and there's now there's this trade-off it's like can you nerf it because if you nerf it it's like the people who got it and paid for it it's like just feels really paid to win but if they don't do it it's like very unhealthy for the game I think fab is in a similar scenario where like these legendaries are they you know they're as, uh, up until now, they're kind of seen, seen as untouchable and I don't think they should be. Um, can you make the game balanced and okay by banning things around the legendary like we've seen with the old him ban? Um, yeah, I think it's worked so far, but I would like for it to be more on the table. I'd say right now, it just doesn't feel that way because they're so interested in preserving the integrity of the secondary market. For me, um, and I know that you know these, these implications on collectors, on buyers can be negative, but for me as a player, I would like to prioritize balance and a healthy meta almost o- almost over anything you know it, it, like the legendary is definitely an issue and you know kind of like a sub a, a subtext of this is also like the whole fable conversation but yeah hmm. I, I would i would like them to be open to be to be banned
1: yeah and, and i scott is asking do you think legendary should be depowered you know in, in future should power like yeah we, but or just no, oh, less let, powerful when printed less yeah, powerful yeah. when they're printed is, is, is what do you think about that
0: Less powerful when printed. That, I mean, so if a legendary isn't powerful, like, what does that slot really mean? It's just more unique. Um, Silver palms? They
1: could- what?
0: Silver palms. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. Some do miss. You're right. Um, should they be depowered? I don't know. I feel like a lot of them are actually pretty reasonable power level. It's just a few right. bad actors. Like it's, it's all the exceptions, not the examples, right? It's just like the crown of seeds, you know, the Pfft, shut up. Um, you know, all these, there's a couple of them that are just so strong and the others are just, they're quite reasonable. So should they be under, should they be depowered? I don't know. I think the power level is currently okay. I just think we have a few that sort of exceed our, our base power level for legendary. And that's, that's what's led to problems.
1: The irony of you answering this question after your multiple spiels about Stormstriders being banned and Blitz, because let's not forget, we have had a Legendary band before, albeit temporarily, with Stormstriders and Blitz for two minutes, was it? Uh, I can't remember. Mm. But look, so I, I agree to an extent. I, think, I don't think they should be afraid to make Legendaries powerful. They're Legendaries. I think they need to be powerful. They need to be cards that are enticing. They need to be marquee cards for these classes, these heroes. They need to be cards that you want to play. And... I think that's good for the game but they also yeah there's a there's a balancing act there what's the answer to when they get it wrong or when it's not quite right with the rest of the meta is it to ban out a lot of things around it to try and balance that and make that legendary work and and still have people be able to be attached to it and, and be able to play those I think it might be to be honest I think that might actually be the answer is what Alice has gone with so far But I think if there's an overwhelming sort of thing where it changes too much the dynamic because there's cards they need to target that are too heavily tied to other heroes, I'll give an example. Let's use Hypothermia as an example, right? Had Icelander not been as powerful and they felt like they needed to ban Hypothermia from Ultim and Winter's Whale to to balance their hero and it negatively impacted Icelander, and of course this isn't the scenario that unfolded, but had Icelander not been as powerful and not as prevalent, then that would have felt a bit bad, right? That would have not felt good. In that instance, it would have been like, okay, maybe you just bite the bullet and take the owl on the crown of seeds, it until ultim is living legend or you suspend know, it until ultim living legend and move on from there so i think it's a balancing act but i think i would at the at the moment now i feel like i'd be a little bit surprised to see legendaries get suspended or banned but i i think it would be perfectly fine you know there's there's now so many of them in the game at, at, at some point it's you know it's going to happen but i wouldn't want to see them depowered necessarily because i think they're an important part of the game
0: we have got a lot of questions, so I'm not going to tangent too hard, but I, one of my least favorite things about flesh and blood balance and banning and, you know, all these, whether it's bannings, errata, suspensions, is that they are not willing to delineate between heroes at this point. You know, maybe it would be too complicated when maybe it wouldn't, but it does feel really bad when something does get, you know, something is banned because there's a particular bad actor. So like, I think back to Blitz and Storm stormshatters and like that was, I think it was. It was pretty rough. It was pretty rough on Kano. And it was like, you know, Kano was still, Kano was strong. So you could make the argument that it should have been made. But what happened was that Icelander was still like the best freaking deck. And then Kano just like sucked. And it was like, mm, come on. So, yeah, I, I it's just, I want to bring that up. I hope, I think that I want them to be able to sort of, uh, you know, ban things just for certain heroes in the future.
1: Yeah, I agree. The last thing I'll say is that, that I think that'll that thats what suspension is for. I would say that is mm-hmm. what suspending cards is for until a hero is living legend so that it doesn't fully impact the other heroes long term. Right, next question. Kai Yang on Twitter says, What is flesh and blood to you? If it has changed your personal life, career, trajectory, or anything of the like. I think this is a great question to ask you, Bryn, right now, and your point in your life. What does what is flesh and blood to you? Uh source of irritation. No, I'm kidding. Um
0: it's yeah, I've thought about this question because it's it's obviously directly related to Arsenal Pass. I think that a lot of what Flesh and Blood has become is like an identity and a purpose, um, and like that's why it's just had such an impact on my life. Is because I don't know it was it was never something that I really planned to do uh, in terms of content, in terms of podcasting, in terms of you know having friends, etc. So to have it grow into what it has and seen the game grow from where where it was back in twenty nineteen, it's just been such such an incredible experience and i think that yeah at this point it is just it's it's an identity and uh and a purpose
1: yeah kai i feel very similar to brendan it's a big part of my life as a hobby as you know the friends i've made and as part of you know what i do on a daily basis um it's not hasn't really impacted my career necessarily if uh, i guess maybe i've Spent spent a little bit less time focusing on that as I focus on flesh and blood and things and <laughs> uh, whatnot. But no, it's, uh, it's a very important part of my life and not just for the game itself, but for the community and for uh, the friends we've made along the way with Arsenal Pass because there's been some, there's some awesome people out there who you know, I wouldn't know if it wasn't for this game. All right, uh, Jimmy Nguyen at KTCG on Twitter asks, how much time do you spend playing a deck you are planning to in general and how much time is spent on tuning specific matchups Alternatively, how much time do you spend on a deck you're not sure about before you either give up on it or commit to it? I can I can take this one first, I think Brendan, because this is something that me and the doctor, Mr. Damakai, have been discussing recently. You know, we've got very limited time to do any sort of testing for the Auckland Calling, which is coming up at the end of the month, uh, because both of us are very busy and I'm sort of away for a week and a bit. So... The first part of your question is how much time do you spend playing a deck you're planning to in general? Well, if I'm planning to play a deck, I want to spend, I want to maximize my time on that to, I want to find the best list and I want to find the, the best like cyborg plans and um, you know, make sure I've got the the right list for the right meta that I'm expecting. So for, for the lead up to worlds, for instance, it was like locked into Kano pretty early for worlds. And that was the sole goal. It was like the meta wasn't shifting too much. It was pretty known quantity. It was like, okay, here's the hero I want to play based on what we know and let's tune and get it right. On the flip side of that, you know, we're coming into a, a big change in the meta right now with, with the ban and suspended announcement uh, last week. So on the flip side of that, it's like, okay, how much time do you spend with the are Not sure about. Well, there's a lot of things that post this ban. I'm like, okay, is, could this work? Could this work? Is this worth exploring? And I would say very little time because it, you want to eliminate these as quick as possible. So let's take, uh, I don't know. Okay, is Levia viable because of the bans now? what's the way to work that out? Well, what's the most potent deck or the two most potent decks we care about for this new meta? Let's say it's this defensive ultimate deck and it's Briar. Okay, let's run that matchup two or three times and how does it feel with kind of the way we want to play that deck? And if it's not right, it doesn't feel right, then I'm ready to scrap that deck immediately or scrap that idea at least and move on because I think in this game you could go down rabbit holes on certain things for so long, but I think theory can help you solve a lot of those questions that you have and you can get through some preliminary testing really quickly and help you focus on what you asked about at the start jimmy you know focusing on deck that you're actually going to play and spend i would if i was to attribute my percentage of time i want to spend like 70 80 of my time on what i'm actually going to play as opposed to like 20 percent on exploring things
0: yeah um so i echo everything hayden said i will just leave a, uh, a little anecdote which is uh <laughs> hayden hayden in particular was was pretty surprised when he sort of joined Sasha and I midway through the deck building process in, in lead up to PT two and how quickly you're we ready to just throw away like months of work yeah. and just try to rebuild the wheel. Like it is, um, yeah, with uh, at least that, that sort of, that's sort of little, I don't know, hive mind between Sasha and I is like, you know, we'll be, we'll be sitting on decks for like months and months and months. Um, and, you know, try to develop a few things. And then as we get down to the wire, it's like, that's when, you know, a lot of the testing comes in and we start like, you know, seeing, seeing holes, seeing issues, obviously we like to see this in the process, but they just tend to creep up right at the end. And then, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really take a lot for just, uh, to, just to scrap something and just be like, nope, doesn't work at all. <laughs> I just remember in France, Haynes like, what, what? Oh my God.
1: Yeah. I think that was like, yeah, some dissonance there between the styles of how we like to do things. It was very extreme. Yeah, it's it was. That was extreme.
0: Yeah, it was extreme. But like, I mean, that's that situation we're in. Like, we brought a deck and it fucking sucked, and we're like, oh god.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was on the flip side for me. It's like I want to explore all that kind of that those sort of things early as early on as possible, and then I want to just refine and just get it right because I want to have the best plans. And I I, I think that you know, for instance, we were hurt a little bit by how late that change was at Lille. Like, we didn't understand the deck list, even though it was a very good mm-hmm. deck list. We didn't understand the metro plans to level that maybe we needed to to have to have the the success so that was kind of a big learning for me coming out of that was like okay into worlds i want to lock in pretty i want to do all my exploring early on i want to you know if there's i want to explore threads and tangents for sure but i want to do it early and not late and you know what if information comes to light late like i'm not opposed to switching decks but it's it's not the sort of thing where i just kind of spray wide and pick late it's like i'm going the other way these days yeah All right, next up, Jesse Harper at the TheOrkna on Twitter says, have you ever, or asks, have you ever had to retrain on your fundamentals after realizing the way you thought about value or a specific play pattern was wrong? If so, what did you do to help make that adjustment? Uh, (laughs) I have, I, I definitely have,
0: especially in regards to like Icelander, I remember the first I, the first time I picked up the Icelander deck, I was just playing it fundamentally wrong. It was like the spell version, the spell deck, and I was just like focusing way too much on trying to play on my opponent's turn, give them frostbites, and doing all that silly stuff, and didn't really understand what the deck was actually trying to do. Um, and I remember after I had taken a break recently and come back in preparation for ProQuest, I picked up Icelander again. And I was just like playing so badly, but I just went back to the to the foundation of the deck, which is you know, block with two cards, two for eights, keep a card in arsenal, maybe have it be a tech card and just kind of do that loop over and over again. And then your game context stuff comes after that. And yeah, I just had to reevaluate like, okay, why, why is this deck actually good? It's like, because it plays these attack actions and then has this like, you know, the spell sort of angle as well. So yeah, I definitely have.
1: Yeah, I feel like that every time I pick up Kano after not playing for a while. It's like yeah, I feel definitely, like, and, Yeah, definitely. And because of the context of Kano changes between formats, you know, like how what people are playing, how much Arcane Barrier, how much eight cards versus not the, the game it feels drastically different. But, you know, I, I felt that way about, <clears throat> about other heroes, you know, picking them up. It's like I played a lot of Guardian early on in Flesh and Blood, and then I didn't play Guardian for a very long time. And picking up Ultim sort of like late last year around the World Championship time to play more of that hero, I just felt like, you know the fundamentals were a bit foreign to me and had to understand more about getting to late game cycles and uh like one play pattern concept that i think i had to retrain myself on is life thresholds and where those matter it was something that we did a lot during the chain meta because of like husk and that forced you to do that sort of thing because of carrying husk but hadn't done that as much in recent times because i played a lot of aggro decks and uh combo decks and just hadn't hadn't had quite same experience so yeah, it definitely happens and I think it's you just gotta understand and reflect and realize what it is that you probably need to retrain on or need to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh Luke Harris at Harris Luke W on Twitter asks what historical figure would be the best Kano player? Stephen Hawking, question mark, Einstein. I'd love to see them battle it out in a Kano mirror. Brendan, since you are the connoisseur. No, of Kano, you go first. You go first. That's a tough one. <laughs> What historical player would so it has to be? I think someone who's just like ready to go all in, fiery, uh, aggressive. I, you know, if I think about historical figure, maybe we'll go with someone like what about? I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm gonna think like a sports player. Why don't we go mm-hmm. someone like a, a Tiger Woods? i to say Tiger Woods on Kano. You know, he's he's pretty calculated, he's uh. Top of his game.
0: Gets a little wild sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Media scandals. That yeah, does you know. sound like Kena. Uh <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. Uh, um, that's crazy. You took the words right out of mouth. I was thinking Tiger Woods too. Maybe for different reasons. But, you know, just, just an absolute professional on the pitch. But, you know, as soon as he gets off, you just freak. Crazy.
1: <laughs> John Daly. There you uh, go. we're going golf references. Hey, oh, God, yeah. All right, uh, Mason at K Mason sixty four asks. Uh, I have a two part question. These are all Twitter questions, by the way, and then we we'll are get into Discord questions. I have a two part question. Do you ever have any thoughts on the return of Azalea, Benji, and Katsu and Outsiders, and what that could mean for future sets? Follow up. Do you think revisiting Katsu, the one CC hero, should revitalise and modernise him, and if not, does it matter? Now, this is an interesting question because on last week's pod, uh, we we do discuss Outsiders and kind of our thoughts on this, and we do talk about Katsu and like kind of revisiting katsu and what that what that could look like and uh so maybe i'll start with that part first and you can give your thoughts but um i think it will like i think there's a lot of cards around the combo mechanic that are really interesting and katsu i think doesn't need all that much to be relevant like we've seen katsu be really Katsu of the heroes in outsiders that are returning like katsu is has been the most relevant in history like katsu was really relevant early on in flesh and blood it was relevant during the road to national the first ever road to national season these Katsu control decks, these Katsu sort of hybrid decks, like Kadachis are powerful and they really, the thing that shut Kadachis down was Crown of Seeds and, and Stele- uh, not Steleman, uh Head. I think without those, like, we'd still see Katsu being played in some way, shape or form because of just how good Kadachis are in the, the combo element, the hero ability, the tutor ability. We talk about the tutor ability on that pod actually. In terms of thoughts on Azalea, Benji, returning outsiders i mean i really dislike benji as a hero i don't like that design i don't like the evasion mechanic of benji so i'm i'm a little bit hesitant about that mechanic and limited actually primarily i don't think we're going to see too much impact and blitz and to be honest i'm not I really thought about it too much azalea again we talked about it last week on the pod and you know there's a there's a lot of cards for azalea that are really interesting to me and i just i just wonder for azalea what will it take what will it take to make azalea be a good hero in flesh and blood um or will it, as they always be a, a medical you know maybe it gets better again more more tools against aggro but it's still just a medical that's that's the interesting thing to me
0: yeah i want to keep it brief um but i would say that i'm looking to revisit katsu and or just revisit katsu i honestly maybe ninja control and try to exploit flak in lieu of the Guardian, ban- uh, the Guardian Bands and, you know, kind of nerfs. If, if Ninja gets an expanded card pool and can maybe show up its Guardian matchup if we head into a, a very aggressive format, maybe Flick Flack could come back in as a way to sort of beat down those decks and get a bunch of value. So honestly, that's what I'm looking at.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil at uh, Phil Bickle says, do you, or asked, do you prefer sets like Everfist and Dynasty for releasing cards to top up the least, least successful heroes? Or putting strong cards in pre-con decks like Dorinthia vs Reiner with Glistening Spearblade and Run Through. <laughs> both is fine, but you're forced to choose in this question. Don't worry, Phil, I have a quick answer for you, and it's Yeah, both not- is not fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you which one's definitely not fine. It's not the pre con. I don't want yeah, I don't yeah, want precons. Yeah, I, I I hate that. I, I really like the idea of having pre cons and I'm okay with having cards that people want to get, but not in not in that kind of way, shape, or form where it's so important to how there's so power like glistening. I mean run through yeah. for Kasai, for instance, like
0: yeah. And um, so I'll say something in my, whatever, I, what I'm saying doesn't reflect Hayden's opinion, but I would say that, 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 sort of pre-con thing, it just felt like such a cash grab. It was so gross. Like not only was the product kind of lame, way too overpriced as an entry product, but like putting staples in, is just so unnecessary. I think it's, I would, I would, yeah, I'm, I'm on Hayden's side, of course, like uh,
1: definitely not that, but I would go as far as I
0: would just like, I never want to see that again, where there's like staples in this product that's designed to be like a big inner product that's for tabletop, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I want introductory product I want products for people to be able to like show to their friends and pick up the game. It just I think the classic battles kind of missed the mark a little bit on a few things, price, cards, etc. So yeah. Um James, um, Kendy Great guy, James. Shut up. Uh do you think cards and mid games should be shaped for more engageable and rewarding growth for new players?
0: What does that mean? Does that it's mean a very question.
1: <clears throat> well, I think I think James is asking. You know, do you think that the design of Flesh and Blood moving forward and the way that metagames are shaped through, I guess, design, but also maybe banners suspended, all the decisions that LSS make need to be more focused for newer players than they are currently? And this comes back to, you know, the discussion around Mm. variants, I'm sure, and all these sorts of things. I have a thought on this because I've been thinking about it a lot for for newer players, and I think to a degree, but also let's think about the kind of principles and the strengths that Flesh and Blood has been... Built and designed on, and it's this competitive gameplay that has lower variance that is rewarding to master and get better at. So, yes, I think some experiences should be good for new players, and we talked at length about this a couple of pods ago about Star of the Show, right? As as a actually, I think we we might have talked on our, our Patreon pod, maybe. I can't remember we talked about it, but we talked about Star of the Show as this kind of idea of you know looking back on it, was it was it good for the game? And my kind of kind of I guess concluding thought was yes, to a degree, I think it was good for the game. It was you know. Accessible for new players, etc., but also there was some real feels bads about it. So how do you execute that without you know completely alienating another you know other sides to to the player base? So I do think there's a responsibility to make it you know more engaging and rewarding for new players, but also at the same time I don't think you can alienate the the current player base.
0: Yeah. So I. <laughs> I think that if you add in, if you add in too much variance to try to increase like the new player experience and make it more approachable, like you risk it's 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 a very very fine balance, and you risk losing the essence of flesh and blood and what makes the game so good and, and probably the core reason why a lot of us enjoy it. Um, I, on the other hand, think that Starvo was actually really bad for the game. I don't think that variance is inherently bad. I think that variance exists in the game. People don't give enough credit. Like, I think that Briar and Fi are relatively high variance classes. I think that Starvo was just like a built in, feels bad, when the game outside of the game, win it in deck building kind of, <laughs> kind of deck. Also, like, what people don't remember about Starvo is that deck just made most other decks it played against not function. And it was terrible to play against and people playing it didn't really particularly enjoy it on the aggregate from at least my yeah no honestly from no, people, right, co- right, people came up to me at these tournaments like indianapolis I remember specifically people that were like six o, you know seven o, etc and they were like yeah man i hate this game right now because they're just playing starvo and they really didn't enjoy it and yeah so i, I wouldn't like something like starvo but i just think that for flesh and blood to be more approachable to new players, it's not—it's not a variance question. Um, I think that it's more a question of creating products that are better for introductory players, better for kitchen table, etc. Like if we had just like proper, I think proper dual decks, proper proper sort of introductory products, I think that it would it would go a long way for the game, and maybe an expansion on things like PVE and UPF would also do a lot for the casual mm-hmm. player base. <clears> yep,
1: yeah, I think we can end it there. The last thing I'll say is. I think if you think about some of the things when you show people this game, what are the things that they hook onto immediately? It's like, wow, that game felt so close, wow, there's so many decisions to be made during a turn. Wow, I get to you know interact on like a turn to turn basis from turn one. Those are the things people like about the game. As new players, you've got to keep those, I think, fundamental because they're also things that players who currently play the game like about. Uh, Jake Warburton asks, what do you guys hope Azuri and Riptide text boxes say? Uh, I don't even know where to begin, to be honest with this. I, I just hope that whatever Riptide does with traps is interesting. It's good as well. And it is not uninteractive. That's all I hope for.
0: Mm. Yeah. I hope that it's like actually good and not just cute. Like, I don't know. There's been some examples of that. Like, uh i guess maybe Arachne is a little bit of an example of a and an, yeah. an idea and the execution just kind of ended up just being like mm, it's not quite there but outsiders could expand on Arachne specifically yeah i just hope the trap thing is not a gimmick no i hope it's uh it's actually like a cool way to engage a cool new way to approach traps and engage with the game etc i know it's broad but like god who knows with this uh this new
1: hero i also just don't want it to be like <clears throat> because of how traps could be they could be super interactive right like i want to make sure that they still you can still interact with them i like the ability to pay for the current traps we've seen for instance um azuri i don't know i just hope that you know it has some sort of flavor of an assassin a ninja turned assassin you know that's what i would like to see whether that means that we get some sort of similar feels to ninja from an attack perspective but uh, uh you know assassin style from a uh an on hit or disruption. Uh Ronnie at Lord Yorker asks what cards you think will rise from the ashes and get the wounded bull treatment with the recent bans and suspensions. I guess what Ronnie's asking is basically, you know, what cards from previous history in this potential mm. current format might we see that we haven't seen before. It's really easy. It's Titan's Fist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good one. I mean, I was hoping it'd be uh, Annals of Cycloth, but it's um it's it's not. Mm. It's- I mean, yeah, is there other cards? I mean, I don't know. Like when if, the ball if-
0: treatment it is Titan's Fist, right? Like, it's just, like, it's a limited card. And, like, old time is just still, it's probably still going to be good after the bans. Like, I feel pretty confident. It's still going to be good after the bans. And, like, it's still going to be swinging, like, a one-hander occasionally when it needs to use a shield. So, it's
1: Titan's Fist. Maybe Sift. Maybe. No more. Um... <laughs> rfl asks do we know we so we know you both like gameplay feel of heroes like kano and rhino but what fab heroes your favorites aesthetically favorite aesthetic hero
0: mm, that's a tough one actually i think that it is viscerai um i just think that the whole runeblade thing is super cool uh i, I honestly loved viscerai as soon as it was released it was just like <laughs> initially the gameplay was not super fun on on him but it became fun, and then they banned the fun part out of it. <laughs> but yeah, Viscera, I think is the coolest theme. I also, I really like the Wizard theme, to be honest. Like, I really like, uh, I really like the Icelander theme, um, and Kano. But yeah, what about you, Hayden? Uh, Do
1: I, I really take like your metrics. answer with Viserai. No, oh, no, no, Matrix. Okay, I really like, met- yeah. So the, the two kind of areas I'm really most interested in are Matrix and um, and the Demonistry. So it would be Viserai and, and Dash. I think the Dash at this point, I feel like. Just outstated welcome a little bit i want i want something i want a new mechanologist from metrics so but it would have been dash previously i think I, the steampunk aesthetic is really cool so yeah great question um the himono tcg asks in a game like fab where you draw up your hands at the end of your turn the concept of control decks is very different from other tcgs as you can't deny their hand resources and thus it's hard to not connect control with fatigue in fab what do you think a good control deck conceptually should do achieve Is a Mm. huge question. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So outside of fatigue, I think, and outside it like I think it's board permanence and not every control deck can do that. Like I think like decks like Dash that build up items and build up or, you know, even like old him Kano things like that. Kano's not a control deck, but you know, building up energy potions, building up your frost axes, like building up permanence on the board is a sort of aspect. Of a of a control deck in flesh and blood. Um, outside of that, like you know, a lot of the con- things that we would consider control decks are kind of just disruptive, so they're not actually control. So outside of fatigue, I guess the, the the most accurate answer is probably just like permanent.
1: Yeah, I think defensive disruption is something that screams control to me in this game. Whether it's you know it's it's channeling frigid, it's ice reacting, it's biting um, gale. Yeah, defense reactions. It's and then the other thing would be incremental advantage so dash with items is a good example of that right like you're building you're you're controlling your life total as the resource not not your hand your opponent's hand for instance like like you uh sort of allude to but you're controlling your life total as your resource to build up a board state to control the game you know in the mid part before ending with this kind of ability to just chip away value and that that's kind of what control means to me in flesh and blood it's about controlling not necessarily just what your opponent's doing but actually controlling the game state and controlling manipulating life totals to be in a position to get to particular in-game states that you're aiming for, and that, that's that's what I think control is for. Uh, Simon, at very news much asks, what do you think about no further PQ season announced for this year? Seems like there is not much to look forward to. Well, Simon, there, there is there is a progress season for the end of the year that we know is happening after World Championships It's on Alice's timeline that they released uh, when they did the OP announcement. Uh, was it earlier this year or before Christmas? Whenever it was. So we do know that there will be one for PT One Twenty Twenty Four, but yeah, I mean, we, me and Brendan were talking about this the other day. You know, it's like Roads Nationals is coming up at some point in the middle of the year. But between you know, if you're not qualified for the Pro Tour, if you're playing at a grassroots level, what you're looking for to skirmish, you know, like sure, but yeah, I do think there's a little bit of um you know, I think we need more potential battle hardens and and callings to be able to invigorate and excite people for events in their local areas. You know, if you're in North America, for instance, it'd be great if in the next six months we have you know minimum sort of four callings that people can go and attend you know one on each point of the star and you know north south east west etc so people can get to them pretty easily as well you
0: ever seen that james franco meme where he has the noose on his neck and he's like first time i think that that was like (laughs) good for this situation but um yeah i really hope they bring back the calling circuit to be honest like they really they came out of the gate so hot um after vegas and then that that sort of limited calling circuit in tales of aria it just feels like it's cooled off so much. And it feels like there's not a lot of reason. There's not a lot of motivation and like reason and things to aspire to outside of the pro tour and
1: worlds. It feels like right now. Yeah, I, I really nationals like it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So we have nationals, obviously, but it's, it's like the actual, the towards the end of the year still looks like it's going to be reasonably busy again. It's this kind of next sort of period of time. Um, especially with outsiders. Although it's, it's you know, outside is not far away now, uh, but it's, it is a skirmish season. And then the Pro Tour, there's not as much as maybe people would would like. So, yeah, I do wish there was something else It doesn't even, you know, what I would also love is like some incentive for big community areas or big sort of community players to put on events. You know, like uh, we've seen in America with like the, is it? Realm games and. Yeah, like. Isn't it?
0: The grassroots like community stuff that you're talking about, because like yeah, In the U.S. is that yeah. In the U.S. is that good. well, honestly, the the United States is actually spoiled in terms of like, grassroots community, flesh and blood tournaments. I think that they're actually better than like they're doing better than like Legend Story stuff right now. To be honest, like you know, um, min Max Games and Realm Games, like it's one on the going, West Coast as
1: well. But yeah, yeah, they're they're going just, so far out of their way and crushing it. just good supplements right and i know there's some people talking about it here in australia but i think those are also great things and i I do think as players we can encourage you know our community sort of leaders and event organization stores into potentially doing this or you can i know there was like uh noah who's a level two judge here like did it a a year or two ago with like a a local store here to like put this on so there is things that can be done but yeah um kind of off, off the topic of the question uh moving on we've got a question from uh azulia ton thoughts on future classes that focus on healing i.e cleric druid etc what are your thoughts on mm. life gain and healing I mean, there's a lot of it uh, in this game
0: yeah i don't think they're gonna actually come out with a class that's based around life gain like is a primary thing it's doing i think it's unlikely
1: my, I think the, the, one of the, the troubles with it is that it kind, of, it kind of moves away from the fundamentals of the game, which is this idea that your life total is a really precious resource. And if you're able to manipulate that further away than trade... So at the moment, right, we have cards like Sigil Solace, you know, Healing Balm, et cetera. These cards represent trading, gaining life, but they also do it at the cost of a card and they're generally under rate, right? They're, they're a three for zero, for instance, and your action point in a lot of cases, apart from Sigil, which has no defense. So you know you're already kind of trading down on those. So there is a cost to gaining life. If a hero came out that revolved around gaining life, I think that's really hard to balance in the context of your deck being a resource. Like, would that just mean that the the, the deck is just like the, the only way that deck ever wins is like fatigue, for instance? And that wouldn't particularly be good for the game, I think. And you know, uh patrons would have heard our Patreon pod last week. We talked about fatigue as a, as a strategy and a concept and how to beat it, but you know strategies that are just pure fatigue uh i think and not something that alexis want to necessarily put on the board pure and simple so yeah i i think if they're going to do it it needs to have some sort of trade-off where that life would be taken away from you some way shape or form um or Mm. it had to be used for a certain amount of resources or something so it'd be a really hard one to balance i think
0: yeah pure life gain would be a really like lazy non-interactive game design and i don't think like I think that, like, we have some life game cards and they, they serve their function, but yeah, if there was a class that was, like, actually like, most of its class cards were just trying to heal I, d- I think that they would do something maybe on top of that, right? Where yes, by right. healing, you're also interacting with the game state um, But even then, I think they'll kind of stay away from healing. Okay, of kind
1: of style mm, Yeah Alright, uh, Bruno Babin Why are Alice is afraid to give a wizard give wizard a legendary wizard hat? I think we got this question twice, actually, which is pretty funny give them a legendary wizard hat well honestly ragamuffins
0: ragamuffins hat could be a fable and um, it would be <gasps> <laughs> it would be appropriate to be honest that card is freaking ridiculous <clears throat> brian gobley if you listen to this please don't ban it um but yeah, we don't need one. the The current wizard hats are freaking great. By the way, Sasha Markovic came up with a a perspective wizard hat. I think it had to do something with like a, a bunny out of a hat and like generate an ally and stuff. He did it like PT two. And It was really unique and I and I liked it.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like power level, wizard uh, wizards good on the hat slot. From this hat is about manipulating your your deck or your hand it's about manipulation right and wizard doesn't need more of that i think that is that is something that could be super super powerful to wizard so i think i think that's why to be honest it's about, mm-hmm. about manipulation
0: we'll take it though if they want to give it, we'll take uh, it.
1: <laughs> i might not <laughs> um question here from lee hit uh how would you advise intermediate players to find out deeper knowledge and nuances about a hero they want to start playing Videos, channels on the Discord. Question mark. Also, can you think of heroes for which typical heuristics differ a lot? I think yeah. most heroes differences in classes heuristics differ a lot outside of like the core sort of competencies of defending and attacking. Like value can range because of you know like a lot of heroes they focus more on the resources of the deck and the power of those cards, whereas a lot of some other heroes have a lot of redundancy and they don't have to do so. A lot of heroes focus you know have like in-game sort of things. So I do think that like. The heuristics, as you know, Brennan loves to say, can differ a lot between almost any class outside of sort of pure defensive, offensive math, and even that can differ.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think for resources, it's deck texts and deck guides for me. Just want to hear from the sort of the mouth of the master, like get the primary source. It's like super, super helpful.
1: Um, but yeah, in terms of playing it, yeah, playing it is one of the best ways, honestly. Like it does just help. getting in the reps and playing against people who also have experience i think a good way to do it and if short of that you know you maybe you can't you don't have that in your sort of local community i i do think yeah you're right it's just going and seeking resources from those that those that do you know trying to go back and watch the world's coverage of michael hampton playing icelander and try and pick up on the things that he's looking at all the decisions that are being made turn to turn and, and you will you will learn a lot about you know about those heroes yeah uh derek peters most decks rely on min maxing to achieve victory any generic card can set them over the edge i.e stubby hammers with this in mind are generic cards going to eventually be eliminated interesting question i i I get what derek's saying right you know brennan you made a comment to me the other day off mic about sometimes the game can feel a little bit like min maxing to a degree and while that's true I think the the ability for us to have disruptive elements, for us to have abilities, uh, ways to push over the top of damage thresholds. So you know, think about combos and ways to make your cards worth more with synergy. Always going to put that on the back foot in some way, shape, or form. So I I don't think that's always true. Like most decks rely on. I mean, you've always got to push damage. You've got to find the most damage to win games. That that is true, but it might not necessarily be on a turn to turn thing. It could be across multiple turn cycles. It could be you know, hedging cards, sandbagging cards for certain other cards to come up. You know, Mordral Tide's a great example. I don't get the most out of Mordral Tide. Sometimes I have to hold on to that card to do so or pitch it for second cycle, for instance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the generics aren't going anywhere. Um, hey, now I was wondering, by the way, can I, ask, can I ask you a question? Can I have a question on this? Book? Go for it, go for it. Yeah. So do you think that the hero, the, like the heroes in Flesh and Blood, like a hero, like we don't have colors, right? We have heroes and we have classes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's limiting to game designs if you look at sort of Flesh and Blood in perpetuity?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so because I think you can always bring in new classes and talents that enable you to shape the way that, like if you compare it to colors or to factions and other games, right? The thing that a lot of those other games don't have and can't do is you can, in Flesh and Blood, they can put a talent onto it to put a spin on that. Now that brings its own sort of issues with balancing and sort of ongoing gameplay and and you know what they might have to do to be able to understand that. But I do think that there's always going to be avenues to go down with game design because of that. Because mm. you can balance the use of class-specific cards, you can balance the use of uh, talented cards, and you can balance the use of generic cards, I think, to do that. And that's why I think generic cards will never go anywhere. I think we'll see less of them because... We have, you know, Welcome to Wraith and Arcane Rising proportionately gave us a lot of strong generics, which made sense because we needed them to support classes that didn't have deeper support from a class level. You know, we only had one set for each of these classes. Now we have all these supplemental sets. We have classes being revisited and these heroes have more access to class cards. So we, we need less generics than we did previously. But think about Arachne, right? Arachne shows up on the scene. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, we need to fill this with more generics than we would for other heroes because the class pool just isn't as deep. But we have access to these, these powerful generics from the earlier sets. And that was a fundamental base that I think purposefully LSS decided to get Sync Below in there, get Unmovable in there, get Snatch, get Scar for a Scar, get Inline Strike, get these cards in there early so that these heroes can continue to have access to these while building out the base of, of the card pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, great question from Brendan Patrick there and from Derek. Agro <laughs> 96 The difference in a good use of Stalagmite versus a great use of Stalagmite. This is a topic I would love to hear you discuss. I, I mean, I think this is probably left for your your guiding experts but i can give you a quick example of this people will often use stalagmite to prevent you know three so say it's a two damage from the actual attack coming in that's a bad use of stalagmite right if that frostbite is not relevant that is a bad use of stalagmite now if that frostbite is relevant to maybe stop your opponent playing the last card in their hand and arsling it that's a you know maybe a medium use may, bad to medium use let's say you know you think they have a zero for four left in their hand and they have no resources left and you block so that they get a frostbite and they can't use the last card in hand medium use but they're going to get that card next turn on the other hand a great use of of stalagmite would be you know your opponent has one resource left you know that they're going to play their zero four with go again into their rosetta thorn and you have no more defensive capability left after this all of a sudden that frostbite and that stalagmite block defends for two stopping the four coming in and stopping the four coming in from rosetta thorn you know could be could be up to 10 damage and even if they do play that card they've now lost the card from arsenal for next turn so that's what i would call a a great use or a good use of stalagmite
0: yeah. I, I mean, the the best use case for me were back when you would play Starvo against Prism. Slagbite would often block like, you know, six to eight. And you just wait until, like if it's a, if they have heavy go again and you can kind of predict the resources in hand, it's like if they can't get past that Frostbite and they're going to be looking to put a sort of long combat chain on you, it's just that's when you should be using Slagby. I think Slagmite's also pretty important in blocking like, or disrupting like key turns um, mm-hmm. as well. So like not all turns are really creative equal. Sometimes there's a, you know, sometimes there's tons of uh there's like eight prismatic shields on the board sometimes there's two sometimes you have a channel mount heroic on the board sometimes you don't right and like a lot of times you're saving your stalagmite for those critical points it's just like but at the end of the day yeah spectral shield Uh, at the end of the day you're you are just kind of doing the math right um and i think you want to be getting vastly more than two out of your out of your block
1: yeah you big turn like big fire turns for instance you know that frostbite can prevent them from pushing you know it's like it might stop them from getting the, the attack they need off lava Burst, for instance. You know, like that, take that off. It's it can be really impactful if used in the right way. Um, JB CNC uh, JB asks CNC and e strikes are used in many top performing decks. Expensive, keep newer players from joining the game, and also hurts the performance of certain heroes. Azalea versus CNC. Do you think the game would be healthier if both of these cards were banned slash limited?
0: No, I think they just reprint them to. Uh stop kind of like or kind of stem the first issue you talked about which is like them being expensive and I guess being prohibitive to new players Uh, it hurting Azalea Kind of sounds like you've been on the other side of that board from that question. I mean, Command and Conquer has a lot of other use cases than just bowling Azalea. Like, it is a very important card in terms of like stopping decks that just hoard their arsenal and try to do a five card hand without interacting with the opponent at all, stop cards that are playing a million defense reactions. Like, Command and Conquer is a very good use case in Flesh and Blood. And like, if you think it's bad now, if, like back in Arcane Rising and Crucible of War, it was in like literally every single deck. Like, the aggro decks played it, everybody played it because the format before that, Welcome to Wraith, everyone played defense reactions. So the Command and Conquer you see nowadays is actually pretty reasonable um in lightning strike yeah i don't think it goes in every single deck to be honest it's just like it's just a really really good card um and i think it's i think it's a fine card to be honest uh, yeah i i've also personally i have no problem with them reprinting it into oblivion um and yeah so the, the price thing that can be solved mm-hmm.
1: yep i i mean i did my piece about generics before i think powerful generics are really important to this game i think ellis has printed them for a reason i can't see them being banned i wouldn't want them to be banned. Uh, to your point about the the first part yeah just reprint them i mean if the concern is about those cards holding value i mean that, that's this first edition then there's no promise that cards aren't going to be reprinted and i think these are the exact sort of cards that should be reprinted so um mm-hmm. especially with welcome to wraith and arcane rising unlimited going out of print i think we need to see these cards reprinted uh last question from our twitter comes from uh Jewfannel asking scaling of rewards and events both eu battle hardened was 170 plus and 256 players and only provided basic 2000 price for of course they sold out because people are hungry to play as despite the size of the player pool we haven't had a calling since leo so not really a question here but i, I think Drew uh, Fan was asking us to talk about the scaling of rewards and events yeah i, I think this is why ls has come up with the the, the, mm-hmm. the scaled calling you know the different tiers to calling to kind of prevent this from happening um i think what it shows, LSS, is we need more events in Europe. Europeans are hungry to play this game. People are traveling from all over Europe to play these battle hardens. I know, you know, with the Germans flying to both the battle hardens have happened. In fairness, though, we do have a few battle hardens come out, we've got Bologna, I think. So we've got an Italian battle harden coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. They, they are happening, but I do think, yeah, it is, we do need a announcement announcement for, for Europe. But I think the battle hardens themselves, look, the way to do this is run more of them and I think keep the prize pools the same. And if, because you can return on the investment from the players showing up. And if you get, you're getting all these players, well, yeah, people want to play, but I just don't think that you can, there's a limit to how much you can do, right? Like where you can have an event every weekend. Uh, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You can increase yeah, price I, pools, I guess, based on players, but I think that's what the scaling callings is going to do.
0: I love, I love the concept of scaling price pools, to be honest, I think it's super, super fair. Um, yeah
1: and invites as well right it's like okay, battle harden is over yep. 200 players it's like maybe you know top four get invites for instance you know like i guess they have to balance it off with how many invites they're wanting to give out and that that is the tough piece obviously but i think that's something that yeah Alice should look at right. discord questions brennan uh question from flake i love you question do you love me of course we love you flake you know he knows that yeah, well brennan, maybe not uh <laughs> fortunus on discord asks, is brainstorm one tome away from being playable Hayden? Uh, Probably. Yeah. I'll I'll say yes. I don't know, but I'll say yes.
0: Is it better? I mean, it depends on playable means. Like, it's playable now. (laughs) Uh, I mean, for it to compete with either wildfire combo, I think it's maybe. But the brainstorm thing just seems a little too cute right now, right? Mm -hmm. Without the other things that Wizard's doing. And I think that's like the main thing that's, uh, you know, the main thing going against it. Also, I don't think they want it to be good, to be fair. I think that it's intentionally at the power
1: level it's at. I don't think it'd be a very fun gameplay experience, to be honest. It reminds me of... I mean, uh, I do, but... <laughs> <clears throat> reminds me of uh Sick and Sunrise and Eggs and Magic, which if you ever played in that kind of format, I did not enjoy. Anyway, uh, Dragon Pizza Punch. What type of Azalea would you be playing right now in preparation for Outsiders? Go tall, aim counters, push mark. Uh, I mean, we explored... Well, we, I say we, uh, during the testing process people were done testing and by people i mean sasha and my cronk and just continue to play azalea at, at end and we're just playing go tall azalea and i think it, it's mm-hmm. the it best it's very good to aggro and uh, i was very good to icelander as well at the time it's probably what i'd be looking at i had missed around with the aim counter stuff i just yeah i just think that the the payoff you get doesn't match how friggin' good death dealer is agreed <laughs> ninja spirit uh just right sorry what other proactive sort of disruption other than ice do you think should be explored well obviously we've seen arachne and we're going to see assassin be explored in this new set do you have any other sort of thoughts about proactive disruption brendan i mean i don't particularly like proactive disruption that much i think Mm. the one the one that i think i could see being um explored is like zone and cost prohibitors so things that allow opponents to not uh have use cost so like um what's the arrow that stops zero cost being ditched or played that that card's interesting to me right uh it's frost lock frost lock that kind of like prohibitive you know one turn for this mm-hmm. one turn you can't do this or red the ledger you know you take damage if you do this for one turn Th- those are interesting to me um things where you know you can't play what cards of cost? What was the first thing i said i've forgotten but those kinds of things outside of ice the ones that are one turn cycle effects that you know you can potentially block to stop them but they're not maybe not as oppressive as what well. ice could be. I don't want to see that. Like, I don't actually, personally, I don't like the Assassin middle sort of nature of of that uh proactive disruption.
0: I just want some Trinospheres and Blood Moons. Like, you can't pitch blue cards, you can't play cards that cost all game, you know, just permanence you can't interact with. Now, I think that it's it's tough. I think the tax the, the taxing system fit pretty well in the Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I don't think it's in their, their sort of core tenet of game design to put in anything that's like a... It kind of hoses or permanently restricts and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, my, my problem is I think ice is too ice was too um, too flexible. You know, frostbites were too flexible. I think that's kind of an issue. Um, Brad Tash asks, how do you navigate bad hands? One of the worst feelings in Flesh and Blood is taking tempo with a great play and then drawing into absolute garbage. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how you handle this from both a gameplay and mental perspective. A oh, big yeah, but I but...
0: You made the deal with the devil, and you pick that deck. <laughs> like part of it is your deck choice, right? If you're, you're making a deal with the devil, yeah, you're pay, yeah, you're like you're like oh, I'm gonna play this Green Blade deck. I'm gonna play you know seventy attack actions, thirty non-attack actions, or maybe you maybe flip on that, and then you draw you draw the poo-poo hand. But that's the trade for power. That's the variance right there. Um, how do you deal with it? I mean, there's decks that don't really encounter that scenario as much or nearly as much. That are much more consistent, have sort of replaceability uh, with their cards. Um, and mentally, yeah, I mean, <laughs> mentally, I just, I put a whole, I don't know, I put a hope merchant's head in my sideboard or I just, uh, I realized that this, I picked this deck, I picked this deck because I knew this was a, I knew this was a possibility to happen. I understand it can be frustrating, but I mean, that's part, you know, people talk about how low variance flesh and blood is, but it's pretty, like, there's definitely a lot of variance. Like you have to draw a deck resources you need to play your cards you need to draw your blues you need to draw your reds etc etc we just we don't have lands but we still have we still have variants in terms of resources and um output
1: yeah for sure i mean it's this is the existential crisis i have every time i play briar right like (laughs) it's gonna happen and yes there are ways you can mitigate it most of that is in deck building and card selection so you know for instance like playing defense reactions in your deck that wants to take tempo and hold it Not a good idea, right? You know, like people like I never understood people playing Sigil Suffering, for instance, in Briar. Like I think that card is pure trash. Because if you take tempo, that's one of the cards that can absolutely kill you. So, you know, there's that sort those sorts of things. Um, in terms of like how to deal with it from just like a a hand to hand perspective, I mean you just have to make the most of your hand and make good decisions on the back of it. It's like, okay, maybe I take tempo here, I have a four card hand. Can I just defend with the three worst cards and set up the best card in Arsenal to try and retake the tempo? Like that's really all you can do. And from a mental standpoint, yeah, like Brennan says, if you don't want to have those feelings. I think you have to move away from those kinds of decks and play decks that are a lot more consistent. Maybe it's something like, you know, Guardian. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Kenner <laughs> doesn't has the feels bad in a different way, but anyway. Um, Zombie asks in the most recent ban restricted. It was discussed how one of the reasons for Belittle's banning was that it homogenized aggro decks towards playing hit jabs, turn on its search effects. However, there's a card in the current format that is played in more decks than Belittle, while well, there is now because Belittle's banned. Uh, Pummel is currently played in three, sometimes four decks: Ultim, Bravo, Reiner, Arachne. I mean, I wouldn't play in Reiner but um, what are your thoughts on Pummel as a powerful generic? Its deck building cost and whether or not it creates toxic play patterns. Many players I've spoken to believe that the effect is too powerful for its cost. Uh, this this question is quite long and goes on and, and talks about CNC and, and Guardians, Crush effects, etc. As well as us, uh, do we believe a hands on approach to format management? that we've seen over the past couple of years as the best course between LL and mm. VNRs. Many people in the local play groups are beginning to feel fatigue with constant changes rather than the formats themselves. Should the devs just let a format ride when the problems are more about stagnation than active issues? That last part of the question is actually super interesting to me. I think for competitive integrity to make people want to go and play these competitive events, they do have to freshen events up, especially when Alice is committed to not releasing too many sets at a time but you know people did say maybe they could have let this format ride out for the rest of you know there's no pro tour it just goes to these callings and then we're done and we have outsiders could we have just let this this format ride maybe but we were going to have a lot of convergence on two two to three decks uh for this last month of the format if not so you know and the answer to that is you've played ProQuest. if you don't want to play this format for the last month you don't have to right so i get it at a, a local level when you're playing armories week to week it's a bit different but um yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I, at the end of the day, ban, ban suspended is for balancing Living Legend is not for balancing.
0: Okay, that, that's, that is definitely true. And yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very fragile. It does look like we're going down the path of just like heavy-handed, um, heavy-handed sort of influence from mm-hmm. the publisher in terms of banning, in terms of like artificially freshening things up. You know, like I, I did think that the PT... Like the the pre-pro tour ban was pretty, feels bad. It was like a little bit too short notice. I, I wasn't a fan of it, um, but I do understand them, you know, uh, artificially kind of banning things to freshen things up. I don't know if it's the best course of action, but yeah, it, we, it's one of those things that we're really going to see how it plays out sort of in the next two to three years, because I feel like it's we're really starting to hit that like critical maximum of card pool, like more and more cards kind of feel like they're getting banned. And I feel like, you know, as we expand the card pool, it just gets, uh, you know, linearly more challenging to, to sort of enact that. So I'm interested to see, it it, it is particularly interesting too, I think in Flesh and Blood how, you know, honestly, most of our metas have been a one premier aggro deck, one premier defensive deck, and then like not really a lot in between, except for like these sort of uh, like Prism-esque, just like alternate kind of ways to play the game that are just fundamentally unfair. And... Yeah, I, I'm interested to see if we just kind of follow that path for a long time in terms of metas. I don't think we were there last time, but I think we're headed there now.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a great question. I hadn't really thought about it again, but me and Brendan, I think we've pretty outspoken on artificial, artificially changing a format, right? It sometimes doesn't feel correct to do so, especially when it's uh, towards the back end of a, of a format. But at the same time, you know, the set release schedule is fairly... Uh, a reg- not a regular but you know there's fewer sets than other games would have so i, I do think it's, it's mm. tough and of course the eternal nature of the game it's really tough to balance i think we're going to continue to see pretty heavy hand band spending announcements like you said brennan um let's go back to pummel quickly because i think my answer to this question is i, I think this card I, do, I don't get this card is not on my list of cards that i'm worried about for this game that are powerful you know too powerful fundamentally the card at its cost cost two, so if you want to look at this from you know a CNC right, that's the best return. But the CNC is doing half the work there. But the, the pummel return is two cards for seven. That's the best you you're going to get out of it in theory, right? Because you get, you get your your four damage plus you get a card from their hand, or your resources and your and you can't play it on a one cost, right? You can only play it on a two cost. So you don't get that that extra resource you get for pitching a blue and playing a pummel. You you can't do anything with that without a tuner counter, without another card to pitch, for instance, to actually play the attack. So you're getting two two cards for seven. That is the return you're getting at a maximum of Pummel. And then also there's a lot of deck building restraints to that. There is a card that blocks two. There is a card that when you don't have these attacks, does nothing. There is a, you know, they can defend it. They can have defense reactions. I just, mm, this card is not a card that I understand people's complaints about, other than just like, you know, getting hit by Pummel kind of sucks. Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, I actually think the Pummel is really fair. I think it's been around, like it's obviously been around since of Wraith, but it's been relevant in the meta for a long, 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 long time. Like I think what makes pummel really good in flesh and blood is when you play it on a two cost and you play it off a tunic so you're doing two card you know big tack plus pummel and if, if it's a cnc as well like you're dealing with multiple and hit effects that are all devastating um so that's when pummel actually outside of that pummel feels extremely fair to me
1: to be honest yeah, like it's extremely a, fair it's a bit like to me being like wow snatch is so powerful when there's a channel matter rock on the board yeah it is but you know there's a lot of other work you have to do to make that snatch be coming in for seven off one card so <laughs> Yeah. um yeah no i don't have a problem with it and i think it's uh, i think these sort of generics again goes back to these powerful generics like these this isn't one of the most powerful generics but it's a good interesting generic for the game i think oh uh, yeah
0: but i mean it's talking about talking about, dude honestly talking about command and conquer like i think command and conquer is really off with the game like i've played in a game i played flesh and blood when command and conquer wasn't a thing like it gets freaking degenerate like that card serves a really good function i think that if it wasn't for command and conquer some of these aggro decks would be freaking miserable to play against because like you you really want to be able to hit things it's like we talked about it in the earlier question like yeah i guess it feels bad for the rangers because they really get hosed by it but like the briar decks and the five that were just going to sit on their art of war sit on their you know uh what used to be plunder run just like forever just waiting for that turn like it was not fun so i really like command and conquer to be honest in flesh and
1: blood Me too me too let's reprint it (laughs) co-pilot who are you favorite heroes lore wise? Well, we already talked about kind of aesthetic and I think lore wise for me it's it's actually viscerai and probably probably Olivia. Livia has a really interesting lore. Um, but viscerai be another one I'd you know, go back to, same as the aesthetic question.
0: Yeah, I can't I don't think I've really read much lore outside of the lore book. You know, I mean the lore book really has like some detailed stuff in it, to be honest. Everything else is pretty surface level.
1: All the articles um, that come out, but there's been less of that in recent Mm. sets so i hope we get back to it like there was a ton for like um monarch for instance
0: yeah the the ira lore is actually pretty cool ira and the the crimson haze and the whole gang and stuff i mean that's that's a freaking throwback oh my god
1: (laughs) uh quickness what would it take to make katsu more viable feels like his greatest strength is flexibility but that but it isn't the best any particular thing well, we kind of talked about this already and um, we talked about this in the last week's pod with katsu you know there's katsu is poised to i think i think what it needs is a bit more consistency and you know i talked mm-hmm. about the hurricane technique line last week i really like that kick line i think it's super powerful but i think you need something else in there as well ways to push that or you need some ways to get a, a recurring threat maybe like a hurricane technique like that card to me it, it epitomizes what i think a katsu deck should be able to do and at the moment it only has that Plus some good efficient attacks plus master momentum like it just feels like it needs just one more thing to really get there on that sort of same sort of page
0: yeah i think that katsu has one of those powerful abilities in the game it's actually really close to being just absolutely busted um the issue honestly the main issue with katsu for me is just it's been edged out by other aggro decks like it's been an aggro deck i mean obviously way in the past was it was not an aggro deck but it's an aggro deck that just got edged out on sheer numbers by like the rune blades and now the other ninja it's not far from being absolutely busted because you have a functional tutor ability built on the card that's just insane,
1: yeah. And the cards like Flick Flack, right? Like, what's most interesting to me about Katsu is not a pure aggro deck, it's a it's a mid range sort of style. And I think you know, the coaching tiger for me, that, that ain't it, you know what I mean? Like, nah. the, the printing of that helps for an aggro build to a degree, but I don't think that's where Katsu can shine the most. So, I think there's been this. Mm-hmm uh travis fights dragons travis asks do you believe in do you believe the interaction with the, within the ice talent was a bad idea for the game long term or was it simply a case of it being overtuned in your opinion on the talent as a whole and its place in the game
0: i remember when it first came out i was super excited i was like this is exactly what the game needs nobody interacts like we need to be able to tax some of these decks this is back in the day when chain was just like yellow necropotence sitting off the top of the deck wreck- <laughs> wrecking everybody and i was like yeah this is exactly what the game needs. Tax is perfect um in its execution, I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't want to be too biased because of the the format we just came out of. But I've I personally think it's been fine. Like you said, it's a bit too flexible, which I could probably agree with. Um, but I, I think it's important for the game. I'd like there to be a way to play a more controlling deck outside of just like raw fatigue and defense reactions. And ice feels like the pathway to do that. And it feels it feels a lot better than just slapping down cards to block every turn.
1: I agree with that, but I, I do think Travis Ars has been overtuned. I do think it was to a degree. I think Winter's Whale was too much. That's you know, when that when that weapon came to prominence, when Ultim first came to prominence, that was the card I had the most issue with. Channel Frigid. I think that card's great. I think that card is awesome for the game. I think it's a great way to enact ice and have you sink resources into keep it, but also, you know, afflict your opponent for a certain number of turns. I think frostbites are really interesting. But I think the way that Icelander uses frostbites and the, a card like Hypothermia in particular, I just I think, yeah ice has been a bit overtuned for this hate kind of aspect as opposed to a disruptive aspect so yeah i just i think it is a bit of a case of overtune i think the ice can be revisited and can continue to be used i just think they have to be more careful with it but it is an interesting one i do do, yeah i just i think like i said earlier it's been a bit too flexible it's been a bit overtuned i I do think that's a bit of an issue Mm -hmm. Uh, prodigy what card effects, stats mechanics etc do you think we would need from outsiders to improve arachne's performance big numbers more tools to go wide more sources of silver another piece of equipment and or other and along the same lines what do you think of the fatigue turtle build that won a proquest this season um bonus has your team put much time into him in this current state to see what he can do uh, i mean we all never i guess we just kind of test me or a, a team i only test with dan really and i can tell you we have not really touched directly it's not something that interests me that much uh what would a need maybe all of the above I think the equipment is really interesting and quite powerful. So the silver aspect of it, maybe it needs something else that can produce that. And maybe it just needs more of these same effects, just redundancy, just consistency. I'm honestly really not not sure on Arachne. Like Assassin's probably one of the things I've explored the least because it just hasn't interested me that much. I just didn't think it was good. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: When I first saw the hero, I thought that it would be more of a controlling like fatigue deck, to be honest.
1: Um, which could go that route, but <laughs> that would probably kind of suck. It's but, what it has uh, been so far, though. That's what has been yeah. doing well in ProQuest, and that I that isn't very. I can see that.
0: Me. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it it does give a play like it does open up that play style. I guess I, it just comes down to this question: we think that's like you know fatigue as a primary game plan is like by design, or it's just like a byproduct of design. is not actually the intention. Um. I don't know. I'm also in the same boat where I don't really know with Arachne. For us, like, for when you like ask about testing and stuff, it's like we don't really, we're not going to be diving into like new heroes and trying to like break things until we know, like, you know, we're these people are going to the pro tour. This we're preparing for. Here's our schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Other than that, it's like we kind of stick to the decks that we enjoy playing or we, you know, spend our time in better ways than like diving deep into arachne but surely we will like at one point we're gonna be like okay is there a combo deck here like can we do something unfair etc
1: i mean speak for yourself i'm always doing that <laughs> i'll stand how many I t- I t- decks I, t- I bring to I t- the table i, t- <laughs> I, yeah, know, I, I definitely know. take
0: i mentally take a break from that stuff
1: yeah. <laughs> we don't play together that's the other thing i think people uh, forget sometimes like me and brenda don't actually play together very often yeah so. it's like almost never yeah basically uh, i hate this guy no, i'm kidding um woot woot for more what would a balanced version of Starvo look like in the Living Legend format, e.g. Briar Arata? I don't know what the Living Legend format looks like, to be honest, what, what it could look like. I think, you know, it, according to James White and what he said at PT1, uh, Starvo would be balanced for the Living Legend format because when they tested Starvo, they were testing it into Chain and, uh, you know, like unaraded Briar and, and Plunder Run and stuff. So, you know, it should be balanced fine.
0: It's a bold faced lie, by the way. Like, it's just such a lie. Like, maybe it is not very good against uh, against, um, against a million appointments like that. Yeah, sure. You're like maybe it's not good against that, but that's not that's not why it was released the way it was. Like it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like they, yeah, they had plenty of time after after the ban Plunder run to understand that that thing was broken. What it will look like will be, I think, the Starvo is actually relatively balanced yeah, is relatively balanced in the Living Legend format because you know Prism's there. Prism's going to dunk on Starvo uh, for the most part, and you've got also Chain and stuff like that, which is it, it's fine.
1: The Starvo. What if Bry gets uneroded in the Living Legend format? uh acceptance asks a if game. you would have play make a fab cube what heroes would you want to be in that's a great question this is the kind of question i want to hear Whew, that's uh, a
0: tough question though because you so have I would, to wonder yeah you go you go
1: i would i've thought about this already because i was thinking about oh, doing why. this to be honest uh, i would not have arcane damage i think in the first iteration of my cube i think i would look to i would probably look to i might look at six heroes i might try and follow an outsider's theme and uh, have two of of uh so three classes six heroes so i would potentially look at Two brutes, two warriors, and I don't know what the, the last would be. It might just have to be two ninjas, I think.
0: Yeah. I was thinking a lot about Cube and like how to come up with a fab cube. This sort would of like somewhat reinvented the format in terms of like drafting heroes and like drafting t- like using a way to like supplement drafting like heroes and, mm-hmm. and dual classes and talents and things like that. Just so you can like actually streamline streamline like the actual cube drafting part and make it kind of more interesting and not feel as on rails um but yeah i don't know i've thought about it a lot like i, I gotta see my first fab cube to believe in it
1: i gotta see i it. might stay I away see. from talents this is what my kind of first thought is just just try and so because i think you can have uh so maybe it was like i see two birds right so maybe it's like you you play you have ko in the cube for instance but you could maybe even have Livia, but you just have very minimal shadow cards you can also do creative things where it's like okay maybe i have know more representation like maybe just instead of having one of this card i have like multiple of this particular card for instance mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. which could be interesting as well you know like a um a dead tracker a dead Deadwood rumble art, rather rather maybe you have like three of each of the color for instance to try and balance it out so it, uh, yeah I, I that's kind of how i would look at it i'd break the rules a little bit i would maybe look at trying to not have talent i'd probably look at not arcane damage immediately and i would, I would go down that route and that's something i might do when i have some time and i'm not playing much flesh and blood uh Monte asks, what was the biggest mechanic mistake so far? Yes, any answer other than spectra isn't correct. And Alice LS- and Alice should stay away from question mark. Mm. Uh I mean it's probably Spectra. <laughs>
0: yeah. It probably is Spectra. Uh so like when they say mechanic, does it have to be like a word like that or
1: Yeah, I mean they're talking about like, you know, like a, a keyword or a mechanic of the game. Um so I think I think the biggest
0: mistake was was I mean it's it's close behind, but Like I think Starvo and the Uh, idea were like, no, the idea that you like built your deck and it was like reveal beforehand, and it was it was so stupid. Like I just don't know why they thought that was like cool. It it was just not Flesh and Blood, right? This idea, you draw your hand, you randomly draw these four cards, and you reveal these three colors, and like now you have this crazy freaking ability, you dominate plus two. It's like etc. Yeah, I thought that that was just like really atypical for like what the rest of Flesh and Blood
1: feels like. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe the answer is just arcane damage i don't think so I'm i don't kidding, think so at I'm all kidding, kidding. yeah I just yeah expect- okay. you up.
0: <laughs> no 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 because like if you came if you played welcome to wraith you know like when you're playing welcome to wraith you're like eh, if it was got super degenerate because of lack of arcane damage and like they actually yeah i mean james is telling us that the reason like wizard was the counter to drone of brutality but they just banned it anyway
1: also once you see vista for the first time after playing welcome to wraith you're like yeah okay arcane <laughs> damage just cool yeah. and this makes a lot of sense um like J Fabus, looking for Brendan's reaction to Brian Goh's recent tweet explaining the necessary role Fatigue plays in Fab. Well, we actually did cover this on the latest uh, Patreon mm. pop, but maybe you just give a quick recap because I think you kind of had a positive reaction to. Basically, Brian saying, uh, homework this week for everyone complaining about Fatigue is to go and play Flesh and Blood, where when you get to the end of your deck, you just reshuffle. Yeah,
0: so obviously that would be terrible. So like Fatigue, like actually running out of cards has, a, has like a good function. In the game and it's core to the game it like you know helps you appreciate sort of the the resources of your cards um is, yeah but we were we were specifically talking about and just because of the way that twitter is like you can't there's not much nuance on twitter uh but it's fatigue as a primary game plan not fatigue existing as a concept it's decks that just exist to literally only block out and that is their that is their means to win the game like is that intentional game design or is it a byproduct of the flesh and blood resource system i would potentially say it's a byproduct because yeah it just it doesn't feel like flesh and blood you know like just raw fatigue because that 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 breaks that concept right this idea of that fatigue is forcing you to actually um understand like you know your card economy et etc cetera, etc cetera. and then fatigue is sort of like this you know blind block with all the cards block as much damage as possible almost indiscriminately and have some way to be net higher on cards so you're running the opponent out at the end so yeah i don't know
1: I, 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 yeah, we did a whole pot about this, so I'm not going to get into it. But suffice to mm-hmm. say, I think it's both good and bad fatigue. So, um, speaking of Brian, go, Mr. Brian Gottlieb asks, what advice do you have for the idiot who writes the band suspended announcements, Brendan? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he's doing a, lot, a really good job compared to like the previous ones. Like, I don't know, it just feels it feels intentional. It feels like uh,
1: grounded. You know, like
0: well, it feels grounded. It feels like that, like the person behind it actually cares. Where in the past, there was some band, like at least before Brian went on, actually. Like, so, like, specifically we were talking about like the shake up the PT2 and like Starvo and stuff, it just felt like that was really out of touch. And it was like, yeah, I don't know about this, but I think it's good. Like, even if, like, I, well, the thing is, like, I do agree with all the bands. I just think that, yeah, I, yeah, I actually kind of just do agree with pretty much all of them. It's like maybe it's not- Crown mm-hmm. of Seeds was, yeah. It's, it's not going. necessarily the
1: response yeah. right it's more there's some maybe some fundamental underlying things that are leading to the band suspended needs that need addressing for the future like that that's where i see it right i think the mm. most recent band suspended and even the previous i think were good decisions and they were justified and the communication to the community was good uh, i think that needs to continue by the way i think that communication to the community about these bands to to give the reason despite you know sometimes you could say well that opens alice's up to criticism because people can start pinpointing things like the crown of seeds the belittle thing but you know what that creates discourse and and just shows thought process and i think that's good for the game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, great question there from uh, Mr. Brad <laughs> uh the tickler foundry marco asks do you think the math behind fab's game system can lead to stale game design the overimportance of value points often makes many cards dead on arrival or immediately impactful is there a way to keep this idea fun and fresh without relying on synergistic combo decks or board states I, I'm going to ask this one quickly, Brendan, because I think we talked a little bit about this kind of idea of of value. And I think that the good thing about this game is that synergistic uh, interactions between cards is a big part of this game. And I think that is actually what is makes cards not dead on arrival. Like when we reviewed Dynasty and you looked at a card like, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the, the Guardian Blessing that costs one and gains you three life, right? Is it a card where you'd be like, this card is going to see play in this format? No, it's not right it's not a card you look at but because of you know these guardian decks that are looking to potentially play this fatigue style or this kind of long game style and, and gain life to get out of reach that card is more relevant and i know we've just talked about fatigue and thoughts on that but there's cards that yes they do look bad and there's some there's some i think outliers where these cards will never be playable and some of those are limited cards and that's fine i think it's supplemental sets those cards are a bit of a crime if they print cards that are just never going to see play because they're just too under and and are focused on a value sort of part of the game. But cards that can have synergy, on the other hand, I think are very different. So I think what's more important is that it's not about stale game design, it's about them, them reflecting on these cards and making sure that there's ways that these cards can have impact in the future. And maybe maybe we're just all wrong and all these cards could have impact in the future, but a, uh, potions and items from Everfest, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm.
0: I would say yes to the question, like it can. And I think my biggest, my biggest concern with um sort of the value equation of a fab and like these cards being based on it's just like the homogenization of some decks so we saw that with like the belittle decks like when you see generic cards make them make their ways into like all the decks that fall into a certain archetype or sub archetype i think it gets a little a little stale because it's kind of hard to come out with like a different version of wounded bolt it's not just also like more broken at doing that exact function um or snatch or enlightened strike things like that so it's more just yeah homogenization is the issue for me but yeah
1: yeah okay the answer you're right the answer is yes but also i think there's so many things that they can do to avoid that that it should be a non-issue mm-hmm. um zachary are there any cards from past sets that haven't had the chance to shine that you think will make a big splash in the cc game one day push the point and break a back alley break line stand out to me as cards with a lot of untapped potential yeah, push the point, like, uh, you know, uh, a one resource for six damage, and if you could utilize those two resources to potentially push, even just on rate, another six damage, you're looking at three for 12, right? Which is, that's a really good rate. So, um, yeah, push the point as a card, I think it's super interesting. We talked about some cards on last week's pod for Dynasty that we're particularly interested in because of this concept, this idea of what cards could be revisited, could be, you know, set for a breakout, so to say. Top 10 cards set for a breakout in Dynasty, Brendan. Uh, sorry, in Outsiders, which me and, uh, me and Brendan do talk about. Any other cards that kind of comes to the top of your head that, you know, you'd just love one day to just sleeve up and, and play? Like, I think, mm. I think Mind Warp's a really cool card, you know? I would mm. love to see that card be relevant.
0: Well, they said push the
1: point. It was actually
0: heavily played back in Skirmish Season 1 and 2. Um, yeah, it was so somewhat I would say played.
1: It was, it was played. So was I can played. give context, because I was I, I was, I think, playing this deck when it first came out, because I think Nick Butcher was the first person to put it into his deck. On the very last weekend of Skirmish Season... One, I want to say, and then in scrimmage Season Two, it was somewhat played, but it has not seen play since then. Yeah,
0: um, I would say Flick Flack, like yeah. Flick Flack, I like play play a long time ago, but Flick Flack is just like it's it's an above rate card, and it's just not played right now. Um, mostly for the context of what decks it would fit into, uh, and then not fitting the archetypes that decks are trying to push. But Flick Flack is, yeah, that card is super super good.
1: I mean, set up cards are the cards that I look to and, and want to see. I mean, I, it couldn't be, you know, it's a bit of a meme at this point, but Unified Decree, you know, I know that's seen a little bit of play with Helmless Sharp Eye, but uh, that's a card that I, I'm sure can see. I think that card that's powerful, might man. be
0: doomed to always suck. No, oh, that card's
1: powerful. <laughs> fundamentally, that card is powerful. It just needs to... Might
0: just be power. asking
1: for too much, though. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah, I think, Zachary, there's a, there's a lot of cards like that. I think I would be... My, my personal take is if I went through and looked at some of the, the more set upy cards, those are the cards I would call out, but... um. Unless we don't have time uh goka asks what are your thoughts on your hyperdriver, hanabi dash in the post and suspended meta i've really been liking the deck and i think it will fare well into more aggressive meta but worry about the deck building cost of having to play below rate cards like crankshaft do you think something like this is still worth playing over a more traditional aggressive dash build uh good question i haven't revisited this deck as much now in the context of the post and meta i think it can go one or two ways if the, these ultimate decks really start to rise with titan's fist really not making much of an impact over you know over winter's whale and these especially these more defensive builds becoming prominent yeah the, the deck gets worse right it's not a, it's not a deck that i'm looking to play but on the other hand if the, the meta does get really aggressive you know briar really really rises and this this is a super aggressive meta fire stays relevant then yeah i think the hanabi blaster like dash is just one of the like Pound for pound, the damage output that deck puts through is just ridiculous because you get to play pitchless effectively for most of the game because the game's only four or five turns, um and you have access to this weapon that's like a free five to ten damage and has evasion on it as well. Like it, it, it's pretty crazy. So the crankshaft thing, yeah, it is like slightly underrate but like you're not using those cards to like the way you use those cards in that game plan is you you either block with them or you play slightly underrated, but you make it up for the fact that you have uh, you know. All these free resources. Mm-hmm. Ticklo, tickle Chest, like the ticklo uh Foundry Heart is a friggin' ridiculous card. Just yeah. tunic every turn. <laughs> good. Uh Cup Jake asks, which hero took you the longest to understand? Are there any Kano. you still struggle with Brendan?
0: Uh no. But Kano did. There's Kano by far. Uh, but that's I mean that's that's like well established at this point that Kano is just like it's got a pretty rough skill uh, skill floor. Like it takes a while to get there.
1: There's no heroes you struggle with. No green brutey colored heroes you struggle with. I yeah, definitely not struggle with brute. Brood. Nah, it's okay. just it's fine.
0: Like no, I mean definitely not struggle with it. I just haven't. I just don't still really play it to be honest. That's I weird. I don't find it particularly enjoyable to play. I don't know why.
1: I remember one time giving Brendan this Levia deck that I worked on for a very long time and said, You you gotta play this. It's, it's just really powerful. I was like he was playing against it and then he picked it up, played four or five games, he's like, nah, I'm not playing this. I was playing it against chain, so I thought it was bad. But it was beating <laughs> chain. I was back that was, I
0: don't know. I, I I think I felt like yeah, I felt like towards the end of that testing process we determined it was like not beating it
1: well enough. We we're like, mm. Yeah, chain was broken <yeah> uh i think same for me probably kano is the one that took the i mean it's still an ongoing process of learning kano i think
0: the the yeah it's crazy
1: <laughs> yeah the other one is like dromai i i feel like i still struggle with dromai because of just every time i think that i have a handle on dromai i also also learn how to beat dromai more and more and it just seems mm. to still be weaker and weaker like it's like this whole guardian versus dromai debate it's like every time i'm like oh wow can do this, can do this and then i think of the counter to it and i'm like ah oh, man that's that's really disappointing <laughs> The yeah. more I learn about Dramai, the more I learn how to beat it as well.
0: Uh, Prism, was, Prism definitely has had a little bit of a skill for it. Like, I feel like you could play it and it was just like super powerful and you would win games, but to play it optimally, it did. Uh, it, I think it took some thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, last question to finish up the pod. Uh, Neurotic asks, is Codex of Frailty as crazy value as I think? This is the new card that we've seen so far, the hybrid card from uh, Outsiders. Since you only no. just because just we've got Dynasty only just released, you know, since you only discard a card if you have one, which you never should when you play this, it's like playing your best zero cost attack, but you also get a ponder and the opponent gets a frailty, whatever that is. Leave no witness was already so strong. Now you also draw a card and get a guarantee they have an arsenal when you play it. I mean, we don't know what frailty is, right? But even if you just say it's some minor infliction impact, you know, inflict impact on your opponent. How good is Codex of frailty? I mean so what what neurotic saying right is like this idea of uh each hero that gets the effect so each hero Codex says each hero puts an attack action card from their graveyard face down to the arsenal and each hero that does discards a card so I guess the idea is like you play this off like one to two card hands or something or you play this then you play out the attack afterwards you know you basically play this to get an attack into your arsenal that you're' then gonna play and then you get a ponder token and your opponent would have to you know maybe they already have their arsenal full when they just they just get no effect or they have to discard a card so they they're not—they're not net changing on cards, and you're mm-hmm. using this one card for potentially two cards. I mean, that's pretty good. Is it crazy broken? I mean, I, I don't think so, but there's definitely cases where this is going to have a lot of value. I just feel there's also going to be cases where you're like, man, this is a two block that I don't want to return anything in particular because I want to use my arsenal a different way, and I'm a mm-hmm. ranger.
0: <laughs> yeah, two blo- uh, two blo- uh, like a card that does nothing sometimes is kind of rough. Like
1: yeah, like the thing
0: about prom. Promise, a, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. You're right. Like that's exact. Like that's the exact same thing. It's like, so you thing like Promise of Plenty, which was played. Um, it's just like it refills that arsenal, but it, uh, it does it off the like the card itself, right? It doesn't mm. like we need two cards to support the like the singular function of one. It's like I don't know. It's just ask. It's asking for a lot in flesh and blood, to be honest. True.
1: Well, interesting question to pass out on. To finish out on though with Codex of frailty and. Outside is coming very very soon uh that is episode ninety six of Arsenal Pass our community questions answered. we had over forty questions which we ripped through Brendan I think we gave some uh, yeah we gave some pretty bad answers and some great answers so we'll even out to I would say some decent answers all things said and done uh Brendan, any last things to say before we close out the pod? nope, nothing to say
0: just excited for uh I'm just, the Calling in Indianapolis is done by the time it release, yes. re-
1: releases, right? It was last weekend. Yeah,
0: so by the time when we're recording this, uh, the Calling house in is coming up very soon. So I'm excited to see how that meta shapes up personally and just see where we land in terms of the class constructed.
1: Yeah, it's crazy to see. Insert name here. One, the Calling. <laughs> yeah, Good job. Well done. Well played. Uh, and with Hero, would you have expected it? All right, if you want to find us on Twitter, uh, he is at BrendanAPG. I am at fian_dale. underscore Dale. A big thank you to all of the Arsenal Pass patrons. You guys are awesome. And until next week, we'll see you in the next one. See ya.